Oh, how exciting is all this stuff? It's just amazing, isn't it? Like, I'm so happy to um, like be able to share this morning's session with her because it's modelling exactly what I wanted to talk about. That's that's it in action. So what we've just been seeing is a picture of it. And uh, I, I was laughing this morning when Christina came and gave the word about Micah repositioning himself because I was thinking about what's like what would what would the title be for this word? And I said positioning ourselves for the harvest. So it's all about positioning ourselves for the harvest. Yeah. And that's what Ard's done. He's like, he's got a passion which has turned into purpose and he's set himself for that purpose. He's positioned himself in that marketplace, in that place where he needs to be, to see the harvest come in. And he's set his sights like, you know, they say set your face like flint. And he's doing it, he's doing it. And so us getting to get a glimpse into like the wider picture of it through these prophetic words is just like, yeah, this is, this is what happens. You know, when one person has their passion turned into purpose. They position themselves. This is the breakthrough. This is the harvest that we're going to see. So come and give now. Don't wait till later because you'll forget about it later. This is important. This is a good part of it. And it'll give me a second to open this. So I wanted to um, share a dream that I had ages ago, and um, if you were in the worship seminar yesterday, <laughs> got a sneak preview because I forgot about it and started sharing. I was like, oh yeah, I'll put that in. <laughs> so I had this dream that um, I was dressed all in white, and I came out to a, a square, like a courtyard or a marketplace or something like that. And um, other people dressed in white were starting to gather together as well. And this group was gradually growing. People who were in ones and twos came together, all dressed in white, which really stood out, as you can imagine, from everyone else milling around, going about their business in this marketplace. And, and um, as the people gathered, they started, we started doing something a little bit weird, which looked a bit like this. <laughs> and uh, everyone, everyone in the square was like, <laughs> what are you doing? And we're saying, shake yourselves, shake yourselves, shake yourselves. And we're starting to shake ourselves like this and calling out to anyone coming past, come on, shake yourself, shake yourself, start shaking yourself. And we're pulling people in, come on, come on, gather together, shake yourself, shake yourself. And everyone all around was just like, nut jobs, you know, like mental cases, shaking themselves in this in this public square. And then in one moment, the ground started to shake. And the people who were gathered there in, t in the centre were in complete synchronisation with the ground. They weren't moved. Everyone else all around fell to the ground and it took them by surprise. And I feel like we're in a season now where there's a shaking, a shaking coming. We felt the first tremors of it already. And the call that the Lord is giving at the moment is sanctify yourselves, start shaking yourselves. That's the white clothing. It's time to put on 
the robes of purity, the robes of righteousness, and to start to shake ourselves because time is short. And he's starting to draw people out to be consecrated, to be set aside for a purpose. Like Christina was saying about filling our hands. In the temple, if something was consecrated, it didn't mean it was taken out of ordinary use and put on the side to be looked at. It was taken out of its old use and set apart for a new purpose. That's what consecration is all about. So yeah, then the next bit is the dream. So everyone's shaking and more people are starting to come and get with the act a little bit. Some people, you know, latecomers and stuff, even if they'd missed it, some of them were starting to join in. And uh, there was this sound, um, this big sound, and uh, we ran down to the riverside. And in the river, it was like uh, thronging with people, full of people. And it made me think of like, um, you know, when the shoals of fish come in and they get a big net and there's just fish, fish everywhere, all jumping out of the water almost into the net. But there were people and, um, and all along the banks of the river were people who I recognised from other churches saying, come and help us, come and help us. And they were pulling people out and the, the people from other churches were joining their hands together into a chain and just as fast as they could pulling people out of the river. And I believe that the shaking is part of the preparation for a harvest that's coming of souls, of salvation. And that when that happens, um, it will be time for, you know, it won't be like one church is going to have all the new people come and that's enough. No, it will be like we've all got to join join together because there will be too many for one movement or for one denomination. We will be joining together and saying, come and help us. We won't be worrying about poaching from other churches or anything. We're like, here, have some more. We've got no more space. Yeah, so that was my dream. And it's a, a cool dream, hey? It was really, I think maybe even ten years ago. A long time ago. And it's just, just now come back to my memory. And I feel like it is for now. It's for now. So... I wanted to talk a little bit about this getting sanctified and setting ourselves apart. So Proverbs 16, verse 6. This is actually one of my favourite topics because I feel like it's like the most misunderstood topic in the kingdom is the fear of God. And I love it because I feel like God showed me something about it that I'd never heard before, I'd never seen before until something went, I've had this all wrong. Fear of God. So in this one, uh, Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, Through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. Through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. There's another verse that says, uh, fear of God is to hate sin and we used to picture this maybe you still do I know I used to that this was like a kind of um, terrible fearsome thing and the appropriate response was to get really sad and try and find something bad in your life that you could chuck out (laughs) search your soul (laughs) but actually there's something in this key of learning the fear of the Lord that it's like natural fruit is that one departs from evil. 
if you take hold of what this means, then that sin doesn't matter anymore. It has no draw to you. Like, I'm not saying it's not powerful or anything like that, but like, it's just not a factor in the equation of your life anymore. 1 John 4.18 is sometimes used as um, the verse to say this is why the fear of God doesn't matter anymore. Because it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, that means either we have two choices here. Once we've seen this and we've grasped the love of the Father, we either have to say that the fear of the Lord is something from the Old Testament and we throw it out. Or we have to say we've got to redefine, we've got to change our minds about what this means to us and start to see in a new way and have our minds and our hearts renewed. I'm going to say, I think it's the second one. (laughs) So if there's no fear of punishment, if we take that out of the equation and we say we've got to see it all through the lens of what John and Mel were talking about, of the Father's love, the Father's love, the Father's love, then how do we start to see the fear, the fear of God? Well, I'd say it is perfect love. Fear of God is perfect love. There's this one verse which I heard that wrecked me completely, that stuck with me forever, and I've never... It's um, Genesis 6, 6, if you want to look it up. (laughs) Genesis 6, 6. And um, in it, it talks about, so the context is God's made his creation. He's made this like beautiful place for his children to be at one with him. And, you know, through the course of time, things have gone all helter-skelter and people have become separated from him and it's got worse and it's got worse and it's got worse. And we've got to picture God, like, so he's completely powerful, omnipotent, amazing, almighty. He's completely self-sufficient between him and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like, he needs nothing. There's no pain. There's no sorrow in heaven. His heart is, you know, completely full. But when he created us and gave us the choice, he is like he factored something into his own heart that gave us so much power to bring joy to his heart or to bring pain to his heart. And in this verse it says um, that the Lord was sorry he'd made man on, on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And this verse isn't to like make us beat ourselves around the head and say, oh, we're such terrible people. It's to show us the softness of the Father's heart, how precious his heart is for us, how precious his presence is, that we can thrill him or we can hurt him, and he'll never draw away. It's not like we sin and he pulls away from us. He's saying, my heart is always open to you. You can do what you want. But, like, my heart is going to be affected by you. If we're going to value his presence, we need to be willing for it to cost. 
not because we have to earn it in any way, but we, it's not like we have to behave good enough, stick to the rules enough that we earn his presence. No, that's going back to law. It's completely, that's not it at all. It's a blessing to us because what we pay for, we value. If we get it cheaply, we hold it cheaply in our own eyes. You know, it's not worth much to us. If we're willing for it to cost, he will entrust it to us. He can give us freely everything we ask for, but we might not have the character to handle it. It could crush us, or the heart to value it. So let's value his heart. Let's value his presence. Hmm. Yeah. So instead of hmm, let's let's look at John eight thirty one now. Sorry, skipping through. I'm like whizzing through a few bits. Hmm. Eight thirty one. In that it says, "If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed." I hope I've got the right one. I've written it out in here rather than looking it up. Yes, <laughs> got a nod. <laughs> if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And I know Nate's been sharing a little bit about this in the worship stream as well, but like this was a, a big deal to me one day when um, I think I heard someone speaking on it and decided, oh, I've got to look this up. Is this true? Um, the word obedience uh, in the Bible, in the Hebrew, if we go back to the Hebrew, um, it's usually the word shomar which is defined as to hear intelligently, often with the implication of attention, obedience, um, attentively, to gather together, to listen carefully, to consider, but also to declare out, to hear and declare, to diligently give ear, to discern, to perceive, but then there's another side of it, which is to proclaim, to publish, report, show forth, make a sound, tell, understand. There wasn't much about obedience in there. <laughs> there was a lot about hearing and letting it flow out through us. So wherever we, we see obedience, we've sort of made it about like a list of rules that God gives us and obedience is to just like tick all those rules off the list, avoid the bad things, do the good things. But actually when he talks about obedience, it means like to sit at his feet, to listen carefully, to turn off every other distraction and say, you're the one thing, you're the one thing I'm listening to. I'm not focusing on the a hundred no's, I'm focusing on the one yes. And I'm going to give my whole attention to you. I'm going to listen to you. And it's going to come out of me and flow out of me. That's what obedience is. And I'd say that's what the fear of the Lord is. To like say, there might be a thousand no's, but it's worth it for the one yes. Those mean nothing in comparison to the, to the one yes that we're saying to him. Listening to God... In this way, a bit like a bit like Mary at the foot of the at the foot of Jesus, you know, when um, all the disciples were really shocked, probably that he'd let a woman come and sit at his feet, and his, her sister is busy doing other things, and 
And, um, but she'd chosen, Jesus says she's chosen the one thing that is necessary. She comes at his feet. That kind of listening and attentiveness is actually the first thing that the devil tried to disrupt through shame in the garden. Because in those days, Adam and Eve would walk in the garden and they'd hear the voice of the Lord in the cool of the evening. And it was that that the devil came in to try and disrupt through shame so that after they'd um, eaten the fruit... It says in Genesis 3.8, They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves because they were ashamed. This is something that's so powerful. It changes things so much that the enemy just wants to get in the way of us hearing God. He hates the idea that we might like restore that link that was how the reformation came about in in england because it used to be that the bible was only in latin and only the priests could have access to it and it was down to them to translate that into the common language for people but they felt that the word of lord was too precious for people to be trusted with so they weren't allowed it in their own language so the reformation came about um of all sorts of bloodshed and all sorts of things going on around the edges of it, but really so that the Bible could be translated into the common language so that people could come to God and hear from him from themselves for the first time in their lives. The enemies tried again and again to make us stick to a list of rules passed to us from someone else that we're worrying about. Am I doing this? Turn away from this. Do this and then you'll be all right. And God's saying the one thing that is necessary is to come and sit at my feet and hear from me. Turn, turn off all the distractions. Turn off all the distractions and just come and listen to me. And let it flow, that obedience flow out of that place. So, I've put down here uh, purity. This is something I was, um, I wanted Trevor to share about his journaling thing. And I've been kind of like putting journaling, giving journaling a little um, plug this week. Just because I think probably one of the first times Patricia came to visit us, Patricia Bootsma, she gave me a word and said, you've got to journal um, this is going to change your life. It's the most. It's going to be the most fundamental key thing in your life. Get a journal and start doing it. And I didn't. I didn't for a couple of years. And it was only later on I thought about it and was like, Oh, I could have a go. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I opened. My, I got this journal and I was like, I, I don't know what to put in it. So I, over time, I've stuck with it. I mean, I've. Chris will tell you that like we've got this big bookshelf that takes up one wall in our house and a good few shelves are <laughs> getting uh, annexed by the by the journals. But um, I found a way that works for me. It might help you, it might not help you. But what I do is I try to start small. I set some limits on it so it didn't become like, oh my goodness, I've got to write for an hour and probably at least 12 pages. All I did on one side... And on that side, I'd start with thank yous from me to God, just because it got me writing. <laughs> thank you for this. Oh, thank you for that thing you did last night. Thank you for your presence with me today. Thank you that I'm your daughter. Thank you that you're here with me. Thank you that um, that bill got paid. Thank you that 
I got given a present, thank you, anything, doesn't matter what. And I found that like prayer would start to flow from that actually, just once I started and, oh, and I've got this on my mind and anything. But once I got to the bottom of that page, that's it. They're like, I'm done. That's my part, done, stop. Then I turn on to the next page and this is where I start listening. And um, so it's like a conversation, sort of, except one person talks and stops and then the other one. And uh, and I used to find I'd start to sit there and go, and now God's bit. Uh, <laughs> thank you, slowed a bit quicker than, than that side. So I even started, you know, like priming the pump just to get it started. So I was like, well, I'm going to write some things that I know are true anyway. So it always starts, Bri, I love you and I'm with you. And then it would go on from there. And I'd, I, sometimes I'd just write things that, you know, yeah, I've got good plans for you to prosper you, not to hurt you. I've got a hope and a future for you. And it's like, okay, this is Bible, so it must be all right. <laughs> but, you know, you can even inspire that because he brings something to your mind. Like, if you've read it, it's in there, but which bit he pulls out of the filing cabinet of your heart, you know, is down to him. And he'd pull out all different things. And um, it was actually, I had a bit of a thing like Trevor did, really, where I, for ages I was writing going... I'm definitely making this all up. <laughs> There's not even a shadow of a doubt about it. And then it was actually this time last year that it all got very real for me because uh, we showed up for the first Kingdom Life School and things started happening and I went, no way. <laughs> Months before he'd spoken to me about it and described in detail what his plans were, what he wanted to do. They'd been dreams, they'd been... Things that I just thought, oh, one day we'll see things like this. And he was talking to me about it. But I walked through them all in a week. I was like, what? <laughs> I have to start paying more attention to this. This is good. And it's true that he can just use our, like, faltering, faltering start to speak to us. Like, his, his strength is greater than our weakness. Don't worry that, like... Oh, is that just my imagination? Yes, it is. We've been saying this in our deeper group. He sanctified our ima- imaginations too, and he sanctified all of us. So go with it. He can speak through our imaginations. He's just that big. He's just that good at communicating. <laughs> so have confidence. Uh, so that was sort of a sidetrack in a way. It's all the same thing. We all listen to God. But... Um, This is just something that he was showing me this morning because I was like, oh, I've got to talk about the fear of God, which I'll come back to a little bit more and again. And I was like, oh, that's not fun. (laughs) That's not a fun thing. But he said, uh, this is what he said to me, don't be afraid. I've anointed you to preach good news. Did you know that purity, single-heartedness is good news? It's peace to the soul when your heart and flesh stop the warring and the dividedness and are united in their desire for the one thing, enveloped in love and given peace and purpose. I've anointed you to still the storm of double-mindedness today. So just go and speak peace. So purity, purity is peace to the soul. It's good news. It's good news. When we can set aside all the like 
oh, do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? Like torn in all different directions. And that moment where the peace of God descends and only one thing matters now. And it's so easy to just say yes to him because it's the only thing that matters. It's like that peace and that unity of, of the soul and the spirit. It's like David spoke about when he said, my heart and flesh cry out for the living God because it was like in the sanctuary of God was the one place where he was all at one, all at peace. All of the like depressions or the doubts or the anxieties, all of those things fade away in the unity of just desiring the one thing. And um, the stilling the storms thing made me laugh where I said it stills the, sto- the storms in our soul. Um, because uh, yesterday we were we were uh, doing some like ask the Holy Spirit to show us something in our group and and I'd been talking a little bit about this bit that um, God had shown me before about uh, how was it that Jesus could walk on the water. Uh, it was so easy for him on these stormy seas to just step out and walk on the water. And I had this sudden like, oh my goodness, in Revelation, it talks about the glass seas around the throne of God. It's like ice, you know, like solid glassy seas. So for Jesus, it was just that the reality of heaven was more true to him than the truth of his circumstances. And the moment he stepped out in the light of that reality, the stormy seas around him became like ice to him. But the bit that made me laugh is that when I was just picturing this yesterday, Jesus wasn't walking on the water. He had ice skates on. <laughs> he was like, shoom, a bit like Torval and Dean, you know, and like spinning and laughing. And, and he, he said, I'm laughing over this. I'm laughing. This is a joyful thing. Like I'm stilling the storms of, of like the pressures, the pressures of sin and the pressures of doubt and the pressures of being torn in different, different ways. I just like, shoom, it's all like an icy beautiful still water for him and he goes out and he plays on it and I could see underneath the ice like where there had been the storms and the waves and the swells underneath but they just like frozen in a moment and out he went on the top and it's such a cool image I just thought it was brilliant and um, yeah that let me I'm going to read you another bit out of the journal just because I like it this was from the first Monday morning, he said, Bri, I'm laughing this morning. I'm happy and excited too. I know the plans of the enemy who's trying to divide, distract, destroy. But guess what? I have plans too. They are to restore, to refine, to reform, and refire. Like so now, getting refired. <laughs> Reformation is coming. But refining, reforming, breaking, moulding, making. This has been sown with tears, but now is the time to reap with joy. Now is the time to come home like those who dream, for sorrow and sighing to cease. Celebrate, sing, 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 like the barren woman who fills the first pangs of birth. You don't have to overcome with a serious face this time, but overcome with laughter, because the battle's not yours. Heaven's armies and chariots are poised to usher you in. Heaven's victory procession, leading captivity captive. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty cool. 
And I believe this is a time for consecration, for setting apart, for purity, for choosing the one thing. But it's not a time for sorrow and sighing. That time is past. This is like captivity is over. Captivity is done. The chains are broken. You don't come out of broken chains with tears rolling down your face. You hit the road running, dancing, celebrating, singing. That's what freedom looks like. Because when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about exchanging one lot of chains for another lot of chains. We're talking about exchanging chains for freedom. But freedom that is so precious, so costly, so valuable to us that we would never, ever dream of trading it for chains again. Why would we? Freedom so complete that there's no looking back. There's no longing for the days of Egypt. And I call, at least we have bread there. No. (laughs) Rachel liked that one. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, I said at the beginning that passion ignites purpose. I think that part of this, positioning for the harvest, is about the calling out, the setting apart, the consecrating, the choosing the one thing. But that passion births purpose. Because there's, there's a difference between like having the office of an apostle, having it on your business card or whatever, and the kind of apostolic ministry, which I believe that all of us are called to, to some extent. Because what it actually meant, like, the, in the empire, like the Roman Empire, the apostles were the ones who were completely immersed in the Roman culture. And they'd be sent out to different parts of the different lands, new territory. And they would be like the spearhead of the kingdom that would go straight into that new ground and they would establish the culture in that place. They'd be, you know, versed in the language of it. They would move in the ways that the empire did, like this. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ in our own spheres, in our own areas, where passion births purpose and we're sent out like the arrowhead of the kingdom into new areas where we like put a flag in the ground and say, let your kingdom be established in this place. So that we're so, so drenched in his culture of heaven that it stops being like, oh, I'm here surrounded by heathens. What if they turn me into a heathen? You know, in the, in, I've heard Bill Johnson say that in the Old Testament, you couldn't touch a leper because if you touched the leper, you'd become leprous. But in the New Testament, when Jesus came, if you touch the leper, the leper gets healed. That's the era that we're living in now, and we're being sent out with passion and purpose to be set apart, to be different, to establish the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. Not to be afraid that we're going to take on the culture of the people around us, but to be so, so, so convinced, so close to him, so in intimate hearing him, staying at his feet, that the only thing that flows out of us is his culture until the whole culture around us becomes like that too. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) He said, I have positioned you to carry my presence into places no one else could. You are pioneers for me. It's good and right for you to come back into that place of rest and intimacy in between, to go out, to 
come back in, to go out, to come back in, to go out, to come back in, so that we're like constantly at that place of sitting at his feet, listening to him and intimacy with him, so that the one yes, the one thing is all that matters. I had a really, really simple um, example of this um, that came from the journaling and stuff, because I quite like doing it first thing in the morning, that's when works for me. And um, so I used to get up and I teach class in a special needs school, I teach a filmmaking class there. And um, I used to say, God, what do you want me to take into that school with me this morning? And he started speaking to me about peace, about like shalom peace, the complete, the fullness, you know. That it's not just, a, it, it's like a really complete peace that touches the mind, the soul, the spirit, the body, every, brings everything into balance and order. I thought, yeah, lots of those kids that I meet in there with Asperger's, autism, with all sorts of different things, they just need the peace of God to settle in their hearts and then they'd be free to just be themselves without all this kind of like, oh, everything's overwhelming. And, and um, so I was like, okay. And God said, I want you to pack this up like a lunchbox. It's like you're packing, making up your lunch in the morning and you're taking it in. I was like, what? <laughs> that's weird. He says, yeah, that's what that boy did who packed his fish and the bread in his lunchbox that day. <laughs> and it might have seemed like a really simple thing, but he <laughs> went along and God used that to multiply to feed 5,000 people. And he was saying, the things I show you in the mornings in the secret place, I'm going to multiply to feed a lot of people. And um, so I was like, all right, I'll do that. And it's just peace, 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 peace to these kids. And uh, after a little while of doing this, I had... Um, well, I'll tell you a couple of stories. One, I had a kid brought to my class um, because basically he was in a mainstream school, but he was on the verge of being expelled because he was just failing. He was, he was failing everything. He couldn't, couldn't get on, and he couldn't find anything he was good at. And so he came with that kind of attitude about him, like, I'm rubbish at everything. <sighs> but suddenly I was like, oh, God, show me how you see him, and all of this, peace, 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 and so I used him, God showed me that he was actually a leader, he wasn't at the bottom of the pack, he was at the top of the pack, so I got him to like be the one that would teach the others how to do it and things like this, and he was getting really good, and one day he brought in some, he made some food for us, and I, I was like, guys, do you like this, isn't this brilliant, isn't this fantastic, he's, he's made these canapes for us. They're delicious, and we all went nuts. We made this program about his canapes and all of that. Now, this kid um, is 15, 16, I think. He has got a job being mentored by a celebrity chef at one of the top restaurants in Poole uh, because they found he's got a gift in this, and he's won like these little cooking competitions and stuff. And the filmmaking side of it has grown so much that he has his own YouTube channel. He makes £100 a week from his YouTube channel at age 15. <laughs> Simple. Another kid came in who had real trouble, um, like debilitating shyness. He couldn't make eye contact with you. And in the probably t 10 years he'd been at the school, he'd never strung a sentence together, really odd words, a little bit, but just too shy to actually communicate. And um, I even remember praying for him, <laughs> specifically, just packed my lunchbox each week and, <laughs> and went in. And one day I said, um, 
oh, who'd like to be the presenter for our program today? And whose hand went up? It's like, oh, it could be a long morning. <laughs> we might not get much done. We go, oh, okay, all right then, give it a go. And so we, <laughs> we press the record button, and he goes, hello, and welcome to Bowcroft. Today, we're going to be, it's like, <laughs> it was such a shock. The, head, the deputy head came in, I was like, that's Jonathan. He's never done that. I've never heard him do that in all his years at the school. We had to write a report about it to send to his parents because everyone was so like, what's going on? <laughs> what's happened to this kid? And he's never gone back. He communicates now. Awesome. These are just the things that God can do, you know, when we pack our lunchbox. We don't do anything specific. It's just coming, <laughs> coming and listening to him and... He can use that. It's amazing, really cool. Yeah. So why does it matter to, I know I'm sort of meandering a little bit, but coming back to this purity, this consecration, why does it matter? What could it look like, you know, if we all became like in the dream, you know, the people said, I'm going to clothe myself in white, I'm going to get in my marketplace. That's like your sphere, wherever your marketplace is, you know. It's the people where, it's a place where business, the business of life happens. Whether that's at a hospital, it's at a school, it's you're doing the rounds, it's in your business, it's in your family, it's in your neighbourhood, wherever. But I'm going to clothe myself in white and I'm going to start shaking myself yeah. in in full view, you know, like... Just where life happens, not just in the secret, but where life happens. And um, the illustration for this, I think, is best shown in Acts 2. Where it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. That single-mindedness, you know, like that set apart for one thing. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a rushing sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. What happens next? It's like, wow, <laughs> a lot of good stuff. A harvest. The greatest harvest they'd ever seen of people coming into the kingdom. And it started with those people setting themselves aside to wait with one accord. Like nothing else mattered in that moment. We're just here waiting. And the Holy Spirit came on it. In nature, no Mary likes all these uh, wonders of science and things like this. So this one's for Mary. Um... I did a, a, a study on lightning, and I um, shared this one yesterday as well, a little a few people. <laughs> uh, I love this. This is like the, the slight geek in me comes out. Okay, so <laughs> when there's a thunderstorm, you know there's like electrons in, in particles and everything, and they can be positively or negatively charged. And um, when there's a thunderstorm brewing, the bottom of the cloud um, is negatively charged. Everything on the earth has both. It's got a mixture of positive and negatively charged things floating around. But uh, when this storm is brewing, 
there comes this separation where the negative uh, things are drawn out and the positive things are drawn up and out, like separated out from the mass in a way. It's like the dark gets darker and the light gets lighter. There's this cooling apart, so there's no more mix. There's no more middle ground. There's no more grey area. And the, the positive things are actually, it's not like just separated out in a corner where they're trapped by all the mean, nasty, negatively charged things. No, they're actually drawn to highest places. They're drawn up, out, out of the out of the mix, really. And there comes this point where the charge in the heavens is so attracted to the positive charge rising up from the earth that there's this exchange of power, and that's what lightning is. The skies open up and power comes from the heavens and touches earth to unite because the, the draw of those positively charged things is so, so irresistible. And that's the season that we're living in at the minute. There's a storm brewing. The dark we've noticed in the earth has been getting darker. A lot of us have been aware of all the stuff going on, and it's easy to focus on that and be like, oh, times are tough. Yes. But God is drawing out and up into prominence, into spheres of influence and positions. People are being positioned all over the place for the harvest being drawn apart, set apart, marked for glory. And where they're gathering together, like, like the people dressed in white, all gathering together in the square, starting to shake themselves, it's so irresistible to heaven that an exchange of power is inevitable in the end. When we were praying for this week, I'm just going to finish with this last bit and then we're going to pray. So get started, ready for, ready for some praying, and we'll have lunch. Uh, when we were praying for this week, uh, I felt I had the word from God saying that he was going to draw in fire starters. And um, Rachel was encouraging me too that she'd seen something familiar. I saw people coming in, getting the fire of God and going back all across the county and beyond to go back to their houses of prayer, their churches, their positions where they're ministering, where they're working and being red hot fires. And it was only on the day when we were coming to set up in here, I was like, oh, Jean Darnell. She, um, she was very influential here in the post-green community. And back in the 60s, she had a, a word. Um, oh, I meant to look it up and I forgot. But she had this word that revolved around these small fires burning in all different places. And each one was like a house of prayer and worship and seeking the Lord's face dotted around all over and as they were burning she saw there was a lightning bolt came from heaven wasn't there and hit these hit the fire hit the fires and they sort of joined together into like like networks or whatever but the small fires grouped grouped together and then the next thing that happened was that a river of fire came across the whole of the UK swept over all of them from the north to the south jumped across the channel into Europe too this is for now. She came back a few years ago and she said in this place, in Paul Dorset, she'd had that vision and God had showed her that he'd started it and it was time for the next part of it. The bolt from heaven is coming. The, the lightning is coming. So it's time for us to separate ourselves, to cry out, to get hungry for the fire of God, to set aside all the distractions. Never mind the ten no's. Let's say yes to the one thing. 
because power is coming from heaven that is going to change the face of the UK and beyond. Let's position ourselves for the harvest because it's coming. Now is the time. Start shaking yourself. Start shaking yourself. Because good things are going to happen. So, let's pray together. I think it would be good. We'll, um, we started a little late, so if it's all right with Debs, so we'll break for lunch a few minutes late today. So I think it would be really good just to press in for a few minutes and just call out for God and say, yes, I choose you again. I choose you. You are the one thing. I set myself apart from you. There's this brilliant, spontaneous song that Stephanie Gretzinger from Bethel sings. And she said, um, there's a line and I've crossed it. Some might say I've lost it. But who cares what they say? I found my joy. And that's what we're choosing today. There's a line, and I've got to get to that point in myself where I say, I've crossed the line and there's no going back anymore. I don't care what the world might say. They might say I've lost it. But I found my joy. So I'm going to hand over to Dad and we can pray. <laughs> Come on, let's get, to, let's get a little bit of music going. Good job, Bryce. Just stand up. Hey, hey, this definitely needs a response. I think the Lord's speaking. And uh, I think <coughs> we need to respond in whatever way. Brian, why don't you kind of tinkle a few? Oh, Chris. Or, yeah, boys. Boys. Be, get in there. Let, we just, I just feel it would be good to worship in the spirit a little bit, just to kind of get that flow going. But it's our hearts that are responding, and I'm just I'm loving that one thing, the obedience thing of just getting in that place and listen, listening attentively and allowing that flow. I think there were so many things in there that you could pick up and be challenged by, but uh, and, and particularly in the journaling.